0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. If you only had six words to summarize your life, what would they be? Some years ago, an online magazine asked that question of their readers, and they received so many responses that their website almost crashed. Then they gathered all these responses together, and they put them into a book, which they called, Not Quite What I Was Expecting. The answers they received range from the humorous to the heartbreaking, and I'd like to share a few with you this morning. The first one that I'd like to read is, One Tooth... One cavity, life's cruel. Have you ever felt that way before, that life just kicks you when you're down? Found true love, married someone else. I hope their spouse wasn't reading that one. Here's an inspirational one. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. That one was written by a nine-year-old boy with cancer. Tombstone won't say, had health insurance. And then another one, not a good Christian, but trying. And then the almost, almost haunting words, thought I would have more impact. See, the challenge of the six-word limitation is that it forces us to focus on what is most important. So let me ask you again, how would you summarize your life if you only had six words? Or more importantly, How would you want your life summarized if you only had six words? At the end of your life, what is it that you would want said about you? See, this speaks to our goals for our lives. Every day we're bombarded with competing goals for our lives. We're told that we should live for our families, or that we should live for ourselves, or that we should live for our careers. And it goes on and on and on. And sometimes it's hard to know What exactly we're supposed to live for. But God offers us clarity. In the two, the two greatest commandments, Jesus makes it perfectly clear what God wants most for our lives. These are the goals that he says that are worth pursuing. These are his six words for our lives. And last week, we discovered the first part of that answer, what it is that God wants most for us. It's his love. He wants us to love him. What God wants most is to be what we want most. Let me say that again. What God wants most is to be what we want most. He wants to be our deepest desire. He wants to be our ultimate want. Not because he's selfish, but because he knows that what we love shapes who we are. The person we are becoming is primarily created by what we love the most. And that's why God's first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Because he knows that if he has our love, he can begin to shape our lives into what he's always dreamed of it becoming. So that's the first part of the answer. The first part to the answer of what God wants most And the second part is what we're looking at today, and that's found in Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 39. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up to Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Now, those of you who were here last week, you might remember that Jesus in this passage is answering a question that was proposed to him by a scholar of the scriptures. And that question was, what is the greatest commandment? And this is the second part of Jesus' answer. Verse 39, it reads, And the second, Jesus is speaking, he says, And the second, the second commandment, the second to loving God with all our hearts and all our mind and all our soul is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just like in the first, Jesus here quotes a famous Old Testament passage. This time it's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus tells them to do, doesn't come as a big surprise. They've heard this before. This is nothing new. When Jesus tells them to love their neighbor as themselves, they've heard that before. It's not new. But let me tell you what is new. Jesus takes these two great commandments, these commandments that everybody had already heard before, and then he joins them together with this word, like, the second is like the first. Just like the Son, Jesus, is like the Father. They are similar. They are of the same kind. Even though one comes second, it is of equal value to the first because the second completes the first. You know, when Jesus tells them, Love your neighbor as yourself, he's not introducing an additional command. No. He is completing. The first command. To love God is to love our neighbor. See, they are two sides of the same coin. You can't do one without the other. And that's why John, one of Jesus' closest followers while he was on earth, he wrote, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, if you do not love your neighbor, you don't really love God because God empathizes with all of humanity. That's why in one of Jesus' most famous parables, the the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus tells them, he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In other words, what you do for them is what you do for me. How you treat them is how you treat me. How you love them is how you love me. So, so when, when God tells us to love our neighbors, he, he's telling us that this is a part of what it means to love God. Now notice he says, love our neighbors as ourselves. Notice the word he uses to describe the people that we are to love. That word is neighbors. He doesn't say Love humanity. He doesn't say love mankind. No, he gets really personal and says, love your neighbors. Love the people around you. You know that guy? That friend of a friend on Facebook who keeps posting those obnoxious comments? Yeah, love him. You know that coworker that constantly gossips behind your back? Yeah, love her. You know that politician that you really do not like? Yeah. Love him. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love the people around you. He gets very personal. See, Jesus doesn't allow us to approach this love in an abstract form. You know, it would have been much easier if Jesus said, love humanity. But my neighbor? God, have you met My neighbor? Nobody loves my neighbor, okay? I mean, the Robertsons? They're just weird. Notice I said Robertsons and not Roberts. I want to be very clear. (laughs) They're just strange. Actually, I happen to have really great neighbors. It helps that I live on a corner with only one neighbor (laughs) on one side, and he happens to be an Adventist minister, so... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Loma Linda's great. Some of you may not really want to live next to a minister because, you know, they're blasting hymn music at all hours of the day, just cranking that amazing grace at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> My neighbor doesn't do that. But sometimes our neighbors step on our toes, right? They step on our rose bushes. They park their car in a way that partially obstructs our driveway. They, they pick our fruit Come on now. (laughs) They pick our fruit without even asking. See, sometimes our neighbors rub us the wrong way. Sometimes they just feel a little bit off. It's okay to feel that way. All of us feel that way sometimes. Some of your neighbors might feel that way about you. Because we're all a little bit broken. We're all a little bit messed up. We're all a little bit sinful, right? Like Pastor Roy was talking about, that's how we're all the same. And yet God says for us to love these broken, sinful, messed up neighbors as ourselves. To give them the same grace that we offer to ourselves. To give them the same compassion we offer to ourselves. To give them the same benefit of the doubt that we give to ourselves. Love your neighbors as yourself. He tells us to love our neighbors to have compassion for them, to look out for them. And that is not easy. It's not. And that's why this command comes second. That's why this command comes second. Because our love for our neighbors stems out of our love for God. It is our love for our neighbor, our love for God, that enables us to have love for our neighbors. See, I love how Ellen White, one of my favorite authors, she puts it. She says, only as we love God supremely is it possible to love our neighbor impartially. Only when God is our first love. Only when he is our deepest desire. Only when he is our ultimate want. Only when he is the love that we love with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind are we able to love all of our neighbor's As we love ourselves, our love for our neighbors stems out of our love for God. See, when God comes first, no one comes last because it is our love for God that enables us to love our neighbors. See, as our love for God grows, our capacity to love our neighbors will also grow. So if you want to have great relationships, if you want to be a great husband, if you want to be a great wife, if you want to be a great friend, then put God first. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up, and maybe the most powerful thing that you could say to your Valentine is this, you are second in my life. (laughs) You are number two. See, that doesn't sound terribly romantic. But it is so powerful. History is filled with the tragic results of people placing others above God. I mean, look at Adam. Adam's very first sin was to choose his wife Eve over God. And that sounds great until you realize just a few verses later their relationship is so broken that he throws her under the bus. It's that woman that you gave me, God, that's the problem. I'm not going to ask how many men have prayed that prayer before. (laughs) Samson. Samson chose Delilah over God. And he not only loses Delilah, he loses his sight, he loses his strength, and eventually he loses his life. And that's why C.S. Lewis writes, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest... Better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. When God comes first, no one comes last. So, Jesus. Jesus tells this scholar of the scriptures that loving God and loving our neighbors together form the greatest commandment. And then he makes this paradigm-shifting statement in verse 40. In verse 40. This is what he says in verse 40. All. He says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, these commandments, they're not just one of many commandments. They're not just the first of many commandments. These two commandments sum up all the rest of God's commandments. See, all the rest of God's teachings of what to do in life are there to help us to love God and love other people better. And really, these two commands could be summed up with a single word, love, Love God, love others, love. See, love is the single great principle that defines all of God's law. And that's the point that Alden Thompson, professor at Walla Walla, makes in his book Inspiration. See, he pictures God's law as a pyramid with the great principle of love right there at the top. And then hanging from that principle of love are two, the two. Love God, love others. And then hanging from the two are the ten, the ten commandments. The first four teach us how to love God. The last six teach us how to love others. And then from those ten commandments hang the rest of all, the, all of God's law, all of his teachings on how to live. See, they are just practical expressions of how to live out God's love in everyday life. And the two, the ten, and the many can all be summed up with the one, love. And that's why Paul writes, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He's just listing the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Whatever commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is what the law is about. Love is what the law was written to teach us to do. Love is what God wants most. It's what he wants most for us. And that's why Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, If I speak, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, powerful faith, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. But do not have love. I gain nothing. Not that prophecy and knowledge and giving to the poor aren't important. They are. But if they are not motivated by love, they are, they are meaningless. See, if you've missed love, you've missed the point. Because love is what God wants most. See, if you do nothing else in your life, absolutely nothing else in your life, but you love well, you love God and you love others, then God will consider your life a success. But if you do everything else, you get a great job, you buy a nice house, you give a lot of money to the poor, you go on mission trips, you, you memorize whole passages of Scripture. If you do everything else, but you do not love, if those things are not motivated by love, then they are worthless. If you missed love, you've missed the point. You've missed what God wants most. And that's, that's why Jesus says that the defining characteristic of those who follow him is love. In his final message to his Closest followers on earth before he's crucified, he says, This. He says, A new command I give to you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by your love, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What will his followers be known by? Their love. Their love. They won't be known for the best music. They won't be known for the most spectacular program. They won't even be known for the most correct theology. All those things are great, but the defining characteristic of what it means to be a Christian, according to Jesus, is our love. We are to be known for our love. See, at the core of what it means to follow Jesus is this single word, love. It encapsulates all of God's will for our lives. It is what God wants most. So, my call for you this morning is simple live for love. Live for love. Make the pursuit of love your primary pursuit. See, there's a lot of things we could live for we could live for wealth, we could live for power. We could live to add to the alphabet at the end of our names. You know, MD, JD, DDS, LSD. Well, maybe not the last one. (laughs) We could live for hanging one more trophy on our wall. Or we could live for this. We could live for the single goal that Jesus says is the most important. We could live for what God wants most for us. Love. And when God talks about love, He doesn't mean the Hollywood, watered down, you know, feel good version of love that we often think about. See, we humans are not very good at love. I mean, Adam thought it was love when he chose Eve over God. David probably thought it was love when he chose Bathsheba to be his own, right? We're not very good. At love. And that's why over the next 10 weeks, Pastor Randy Roberts will be leading us through a study of what it really means to love well. These 10 commandments are God's principles for how we are to live out his love in everyday life. But the question that remains for us this morning is simple. Will we live for love? Will we make that our ultimate goal? And I want to get really practical here. Because when I say live for love, I don't mean it as some catchy slogan. This is a way of life that affects every aspect of our lives. It impacts our parenting. I mean, what would it look like? What would it look like if we focused on raising loving children more than raising successful children? What would that look like? What would it look like if the defining characteristic of our church was love? That when people thought of Seventh-day Adventists, they would think those are the people that love like God loves. What would that look like? What would it look like if we prioritize relationships above all else? What would that look like? See, what Jesus is talking about is a way of life, the way of love. Each of us faces a choice. What will you live for? What will your life be about? I hope, I hope that you live for love. I hope that you make love the primary pursuit of your lives. I hope that if you only have six words to define your life, it will be these. Loves God. Loves neighbors. Loves well. Because that is what God wants most for you. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, you are our God of love. You exist in love. You exist in community with yourself. And you you exist to spread that love throughout all of the universe. You've created us out of love. And so we ask, that we, start, we begin to align ourselves with the principle of love, that you begin to work out love in our hearts so that we can learn to love you more, to love our neighbors more, to love well. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.